This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Alvina, it's me. I've just discovered the most amazing thing. It's called Shaker and Spoon, and it's a subscription cocktail service. I can learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right here at the office. From now on, our Scrabble nights will be even more fun. Every box comes with enough ingredients to make three different cocktail recipes, developed by world-class mixologists. All I need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, and I have all I need to make 12 drinks at home. That's seven for me and five for you. And it's just 40 to $50 per month, plus the cost of the bottle. That is much cheaper than Vouve Clicquot. Unless we get Joey and Salvatore to raid a van again, of course. Oh, and you can skip or cancel boxes any time. My first shaker and spoon box just arrived. What do you say we start our Scrabble session a bit early? I'm already shaking. P.S. Alvina, if you want your own set, you can get $20 off your first box at shakerandspoon.com forward slash Amelia. Do you also want your Scrabble nights to be even more fun? Well, as an Amelia listener, you can simply visit shakerandspoon.com slash Amelia and you will get $20 off any length subscription. The discount will automatically be applied when you check out. Host your first Amelia listening party or give a subscription to Shaker and Spoon as a gift to a friend or family member. Once more, that's shakerandspoon.com slash Amelia. Hello, dear Amelia listeners. Something special today, a recording of our most recent live show performed at King's Place as part of the London Podcast Festival. This is an unusual episode. Not only is it recorded in front of a live audience, it's a crossover episode with another podcast, the American indie audio drama Greater Boston. Greater Boston is a real fixture in the audio drama scene. Back when we were the new kids on the block, they were already a cult show. So chances are you'll be familiar with it. But if not, you can check out Greater Boston on your podcatcher or you can use this episode as an introduction. In a nutshell, Greater Boston weaves a tapestry of funny, moving, satirical and socially aware stories set in an alternate and somewhat absurd version of Boston, Massachusetts. This episode features four iconic characters from the show, the roving reporter Chuck Octagon, the narrator, and Greater Boston's alternate versions of Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon. We're delighted that the Greater Boston gang crossed the pond to join us for this special live event. It was an incredible experience to meet and perform with them, and you're about to hear what happens when our two podcasts collide. As always, we're heavily indebted to our patrons. After many years of making the Amelia Project as a labour of love, it has finally also become our livelihood, and we couldn't have done that without you. So if you're supporting us with a small contribution per episode, thank you so much for allowing us to tell stories. 
If you're not yet a patron but would like to become one, you can go to ameliapodcast.com and click on support the show. All we're asking for is a few dollars, the price of a cup of cocoa, when we release a new episode. And every contribution makes us really happy and makes a huge difference for our team. For today's episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Emray Chibi. Thanks for your support, Emray. And now, without further ado, let us take you to a packed auditorium at King's Place London on the evening of the 10th of September 2023. Take your seats and let the show begin. Is anyone here to see Graham Austin? You're in luck. Is anyone here to see The Amelia Project? Ladies and gentlemen, Greater Boston meets Amelia Project in Mark Wahlberg Wants to Die. Hello there. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is The Narrator. <laughs> As for what I do, well, I keep track of all the poor souls in order to tell their stories. And that's what brings me on this little vacation, from New England to jolly old. Oh, I'm from Boston. <laughs> Greater Boston. That's my home base. But a few of the rascals I keep an eye on have made the journey to a special place across the sea that offers a most unique service, the Amelia Project. Have you heard of it? Well, there's a pain in the caboose reporter who's gone sniffing around on your side of the pond looking for it. A reporter with the improbable name of Chuck Octagon. <laughs> Here he comes now. Good evening. I'm Chuck Octagon, reporting live for the Underground from King's Place, London, where I suspect a secret organization responsible for the disappearance of some of the world's most elite and mysterious figures has set up their home base. I got a whisper in my ear from a little birdie that the Amelia Project is somewhere right around this location. I'm, I'm not a birdie, but... That may have been my fault. And I'm here to track them down. Track, verb, to follow the course or trail of someone or something, typically in order to find them or note their location at various points. And that's exactly what I plan to do. Use my new sniffing nose to pinpoint the next path. I have it on good authority that several people nearby have participated in what I hear is called the Amelia process, that is, having life-altering surgery, faking your death, escaping your former life, and embracing your new one. You there. You look incredibly guilty and horrendously <laughs> suspicious. Have you ever been a client of the Amelia Project before? And if so, who did you used to be? Not yet. <laughs> Fair. When the time comes, and it will come. What do you plan to, who do you plan to be as you embrace your new life? Goat farmer in Peru. That's so peaceful. <laughs> good for you. You're doing a net good for the world. Congratulations. 
Hmm, I've got to find somebody that knows how to get there somewhere. Let me see. You, you look familiar. Have you ever been in uh, the greater Boston area? Well, once it was a bit traumatic. I, uh, some friends and I heard that there was an old theater where some homeless people had been kidnapped and they all got turned into dust. Well, uh, well the Yellow King was summoned and it was a terrible, terrible event. I'd prefer not to dwell too hard on it. So Tuesday, then. <laughs> right. Well, nice to see you again. I'm getting closer. Someone around here must know. Let's see. That's your line, Alexander. <laughs> that wasn't the number we agreed upon. Three. We said three. This is how we work, by the way. View into the process. <laughs> that one. You. Do you? You! Have you been part of the Amelia process before? I have, yes. And who did you used to be? I used to be half of Lee Dan, uh, Walter, uh, Walter Becker, uh, uh, Circus Money, uh, 12, 11 tracks of wax. They were just playing Steely Dan in an intermission there, yeah. You're, you're very famous. Uh, you know, I'm fairly famous. You know, I feel like Donald really got the limelight, but you know. That's... Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Can you give me their number? I need their number. Oh, yeah, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. Let me get it down. Those are numbers. Keep going. All right, here we go. Zero two. This is exactly what you said. Zero two zero three eight zero seven three six three four three. It's ringing. Congratulations. You have reached the Amelia project. If you're not serious, please hang up. I'm if very you continue, serious. there is no return. Good choice. There is a new life awaiting you. You'll hear back from us. If you don't hear back, please consider this a hoax. Leave your message after the beep. This is Chuck Octagon reporting live from King's Place, London. And uh, I'd like to embrace my new life, if I could. Um, sorry, I just had to set my phone down. Um, but, I'm, but I'm hoping to use your services very shortly, and I am most looking forward to it. I'm a local reporter, and maybe you can help me out, please? How did this one get an appointment? <laughs> Let him in, Alvino. I'm Chuck Octagon, reporting live from your office with a late-breaking news story. This cocoa is the best I have ever tasted in my entire life. Cocoa. Noun. A chocolate powder made from roasted and ground cacao seeds. Or a hot drink made from cocoa powder, mixed with sugar and milk or water. Water? I wouldn't stand for that sort of blasphemy in my presence. <laughs> ah, never gets old. No, let's get right down to business. You said never gets old. That really is it, isn't it? Pardon me? I'm a journalist, uh, Mr... No. <laughs> right. Well, I get to the bottom of stories, mysteries, threads left untangled. I'm very good at it, which is how I happened to cross your number. Impressive. Most people find us through referrals. Yes, well, like I always say, I have a news nose and it knows how to blow. How charming. 
That's right, I dot every I, cross every T, and always make sure to get every last detail. I'm sure you appreciate that, don't you, Mr... No. <laughs> right. The thing is, I started a news outfit a few years ago, The Underground. It's a long story, and I won't bore myself with the details. I detest boredom. As do I. But I do love stories. Well, this doesn't have much to do with the need of your services, but long story short, a man was working for a psychic news magazine called Third Sight Media. The publisher lived in a secret office on the top floor where he had dozens of security cameras spying on his staff, but also several people throughout the greater Boston area. His goal was ultimately to manipulate the politics of the new city of Red Line, which was one of the four main subway lines in Boston. Thanks to a statewide referendum, it seceded from the greater Boston area and became its own independent municipality with dwellings, businesses, public utilities, all within the trains and stations themselves. The publisher's plan was to install a puppet mayor, manipulate events in such a fashion that he could report on them through the small psychic publishing empire, thus validating his harebrained business of national, to national markets. However, an employee named Tate discovered some elements of his evil plan thanks to his relationship with a ghost trapped in a crystal ball that the publisher was blackmailing for information. That man, Tate, was trapped inside a secret office, left for dead, and nearly starved to death until he was miraculously saved by the dead bald ghost brother who had just come back from discovering Atlantis. While, <laughs> this is true. While trapped in his office, this man, Tate, hacked into the publisher's business expenses, who had paid himself and his former colleagues handsomely with the leftover funds, which is probably legal, but given everything else that was happening, no one seemed to notice. With those funds, he created a new publishing enterprise with yours truly called The Underground a journalistic chronicling of the comings and goings of Redline, the very train city that started the whole thing in the first place and caused the publisher, you know, that he tried to manipulate and all that stuff. Oops. Well, that, how do you define boring, exactly? <laughs> boring. Adjective. Not interesting. <laughs> tedious. Right. Um, at some point, I may need to hear the longer version of that. There are four seasons available on your podcast app of your choice. <laughs> So, let me guess. You're here because you've uncovered a dark secret in one of those train tunnels, and you need to escape into a new life before facing the grisly consequences of your brave journalistic integrity. No, I don't want to escape. Why would I? My life is simply fabulous. Oh. I have a cracking good news team at my side, and a handsome and supportive partner in my beloved husband, Andy Wood. Then what brings you to Amelia? It can't just be the cocoa. Good as it is. <laughs> I understand most of your clients come to you to disappear, but I require the opposite. I'd like to become even more visible. <laughs> I may require more cocoa for this. As on-air talent, I'm obsolete. Viewers prefer my younger counterparts, Michael Tate, Nicole Fonzarelli, even Luisa Alvarez rates better than me, and she's our photographer. Go on. But I have a secret weapon, and that secret weapon is you. I want to make a younger version of me. One that can thrive on cameras for years to come, looking fresher and more newsworthy than ever before. I want eyeballs to orgasm when they see me on TV, <laughs> with tears that scream, now fuck me, that's a newsman. My, my. <laughs> I may never twitch my eyes again. <laughs> Mr. Octagon, uh, Chuck, if I may. Please. There is a terrible price to never growing old. <laughs> no, 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 I can't even lie successfully about that one. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful, really. Save the need for constantly keeping up with the latest pesky trends. iPods, iPads, talking phones and walking vacuum cleaners and the like. So you see where I'm coming from? Oh, yes. And I can see where you're headed, too. 
allow me to tell you two simultaneous stories. One is about a man named Ricardo, born in Brazil about a century ago, outside of Rio de Janeiro, surrounded by poverty and steeped in utter destitution. At 16 years old, he was given a chance to kill or be killed, and like any rational being, he answered accordingly. A hunting rifle in his lap, he found his target in his sights and pulled the trigger, forever silencing the life of a man he did not know. He told a friend he would never kill again. For his efforts, he was paid with his life. But his next projects brought cash. Killing soon became his profession. And although he would lay awake at night, his face numb from cold, dried tears, he adopted the personality of a professional. And like most professionals, he grew his skills and techniques. He assessed the effectiveness of each assassination, timing himself, finding ways to make murder tidier, faster, more, more effective. He strove for continuous improvement in his destructive methods. He took on many personas. Some called him the Sandman, a reincarnation of Julio Santana, the real Carlos the Jackal, or Fantasma, the Michael Jordan of murder, <laughs> the goat of garroting, the anointed one of assassination, if you were a person of appropriate wealth and means and wanted someone dead, the cold, calculating killer little Ricardo grew to become was who you dreamed of hiring, if you could only afford it. No traces left behind. No traces back to you. Just a mystery and a stellar reputation. Now, do you hear that sound? Sound? No, I'm afraid I... Uh, shh, shh. Listen. Listen carefully. I'm afraid I don't hear anything. Little wings, flapping desperately to move a tiny, pathetic body born of maggots from trash. It's the sound of a fly. It flew in here when you walked in from the reception area, and it's been buzzing around here ever since. A fitting guest to accompany you, and do you know why that is? I am sensing a metaphor. Quite right. <laughs> Yes, you see, for coming to Amelia and requesting the great Dr. Kozlovsky perform basic plastic surgery on your shoddy little news anchor frame in order to give you a sheen of youthful vigor is as preposterous an idea as requesting little Ricardo come to my office with a fly swatter and swat that poor little fly. Nonsense. You are the best, are you not? And I want the best. We are the best at making people disappear. Yes, and your prices are exorbitantly expensive. However... If I only require half of your services, perhaps I can get a half-off discount? Mr. <laughs> Octagon. <laughs> Chuck, I thank you so much for your story, for it's, it is amusing, <laughs> especially all that bit about train cities. I really will try to visit sometime, but as I informed you, Amelia is the best at making people disappear. I do not believe you want to disappear. Do you? Chuck. <laughs> How well do you know little Ricardo exactly? Oh, he's a client. And a friend. <laughs> do me a favor, open the window on your way out. That fly needs some air. As do we all know. Chuck thought about defining graceful exit on his way out, but decided the moment had passed. He whooshed himself away like a frightened little rabbit. And the interviewer? Oh, he's very excited to meet his next guest. A bit of a celebrity. Alvina, is he here? 
don't tell me. <laughs> Please give him his cocoa. Top shelf. The Trinitario. Yes, the Trinitario. It is time. <laughs> and let him in after he's had a sip. Okay. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> Good day, sir. How do you find the cocoa? Too proper? Um, how do you find? <laughs> Too British? Um, hmm. My goodness, you'd think we were waiting for Godot here. I'm less impressed because this little celebrity crush is under my employment. In fact, I hired him to be a spokesperson for dozens of Legion products. On top of that, he convinced a trial jury to decide an outcome in my favor by bribing them. <laughs> so he's a loyal little subordinate, even if his burgers taste as wooden as his acting. And he's coming to the Amelia Project because Mark Wahlberg wants to die. <laughs> and, <clears throat> conjunction, excuse me. What? Question. I, well, no, 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 the, the, the cocoa. Down. No, the cocoa. How is the cocoa? Oh, it's hot. <laughs> of course it's hot. It's hot cocoa. Uh, but how is it? How does it taste? It's fine. It's just cocoa. Add one, add them all, you know? Add one! Add... Ah, yes, quite well. Um, that cocoa is hand-picked from rare blue-seeded Trinitario in specifically hard-to-reach rainforest areas of South America. It's, you see, the rainfall is so intense, people drown nearly instantly from trying to look up in the air to get their bearings. <laughs> the pulp around the seeds is a specialized combination of sweet and sour, making it extremely rare and exquisitely delicious. Trinitario types were produced by hybridization of Criollo and Forestero type cocoa varieties and combine the quality of Criollo with the productivity and disease resistance of Forestero. <laughs> Seeds are large and rounded and typically light purple to purple and available year round. However, this cocoa came from the rare blue seeds that the extra rainfall sweetens the flavor and creates a more robust, rich texture. Look, Willy Wonka, I'm here to die, not talk chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Why, of course, why, why, yes. Why, 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 why are you speaking in a British accent? Because I'm British. <laughs> no, you're not. You were born in Boston, Massachusetts. A troubled childhood, underwear model, musician, father of the Funky Bunch. That name no longer has any meaning to me. Funky? Bunch? Pack of backstabbing rabbits. Backstabbing rats is what they are. Do you know what they said about my role as Bobby Shatford? The perfect storm. They said my performance was inauthentic. They said my accent wasn't working class New England. They said I didn't look like I could catch fish if I was hanging out with Christ and his disciples. They said the only boat I've been on is my private yacht, Fuck Peach 69. <laughs> well, that part is true, I guess. Why, why did they say this? Some trash mag article thought it would be amusing to have my filmography reviewed by the former Funky Bunch. I won't repeat what they had to say about I art Uckabees. <laughs> I take it they did not art it. <laughs> but still, the accent. Why the accent? Is it for a role? Isn't everything for a role? Why the cocoa? We give all our guests cocoa. But for you, we picked the rarest blend. I've never even tried it myself. It's not often we have a celebrity of your caliber at Amelia. Only the best for Captain Leo Davidson. Who? <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, Planet of the Apes? Oh, 
Right. I was in that. Yes. <laughs> Superior remake to the original, if I do say. Even though I don't think that's true, but in any event, <laughs> the accent. I suppose a part of it is just trying to break down the idea of who Mark Wahlberg is, you know, shake up the image. People think Mark Wahlberg, they think tough guy, Bostonian, Dorchester, musician, tremendous actor, handsome leading man, action star, sex appeal, patriot, terrorism preventer, legal expert, PhD, surgeon. <laughs> Are these all roles you've played? But no, this is me. Ah. But there's one thing they don't think of, which is British. <laughs> but I'm going to change that word by word, interview by interview. And just when the world adds Great Britain to the long list of adjectives associated with a Mr. Mark Wahlberg, I'll die. <laughs> and much like your empire conquered the known world, so it will be with Mark Wahlberg conquering accents, <laughs> but dominating the most difficult accent of them all. Right, um, well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> but suffice it to say, you've come to Amelia to help with the dying part. Yeah. You will help me fake my own death, and the world will mourn Mark Wahlberg, just like they're mourning Go on. <laughs> Go on, Mark Wahlberg. Tell him. Tell him why you're really doing this. Are you all right? <laughs> Do you remember when we were on the set of The Departed, Mark Wahlberg? You had bullied me for years before that, sending rattlesnakes to my front door concealed in a Dunkin' Donuts bag, prank calling my girlfriend and telling her that if her fridge was running, she better dump Matt Damon and then go catch it. Writing fraudulent checks for millions to my favorite water charities just so they could bounce. But all of that was nothing compared to what you did on the set of The Departed, Mark Wahlberg. You openly mocked my best friend, Ben Affleck, every single day. Oh, if he was such a good actor, he would be in this movie. Where is he, huh? Making Geely 2? You got the entire cast and crew to laugh at Ben Affleck. You got Alec Baldwin to laugh at Ben Affleck. You even got Martin Scorsese himself, the great master, to crack a smile when you said that Ben Affleck couldn't act his way out of a paper bag if he was using the oil rigging gear he had with him in Armageddon. Mr. British Walbert. Then it came time for you to kill me. Kill my character, Staff Sergeant Colin Sullivan, at the end of The Departed. You claimed to have been looking forward to it ever since you read the script, boasting about it to craft services. And just before Marty yelled action, I came up to you and told you one thing. Look me right in the eyes when you pull the fake trigger. But you, Mark Wahlberg, could not do it. You could not fire the gun. You could not allow Staff Sergeant Sean Dignam to kill Staff Sergeant Colin Sullivan out of revenge for Staff Sergeant Colin Sullivan murdering State Trooper William Billy Costigan Jr. You couldn't look me in the eyes 
You asked Marty for a stunt double. Not for you, for me. But Marty refused. Marty wanted us both in the shot. So you begged. You got on your knees and begged him to send in your stunt double. (laughs) Enough. Oh, and you're back. (laughs) Hi there. Um, You were about to tell me where they were all mourning. Matt. Demon. (laughs) Right. Uh, For the uninitiated, poor departed Matt Damon sacrificed his life to save several lives, including his best friend Ben Affleck, when an out-of-control redline car malfunctioned (laughs) due to a cheese robot driver programmed with the memories of a ghost. I promise this makes sense? (laughs) Yes. So sad. I understand you ran into him shortly before his tragic accident. We fought on the very train he eventually sacrificed himself to save. Coward. (laughs) If it were me, I would have found a way to save the train and live. But now everyone loves him just because he died. And now it's my turn. I will die and the world will mourn me. There will be a movie made about my heroic sacrifice, and it will be far better. (laughs) Ah, I see. And have you thought about who you'd like to come back as? Um, Someone anonymous who can sit back and appreciate the accolades from afar? Matt. (laughs) Damon. Come again? I will come again. As Matt. Damon. And then I, as Matt Damon, will tell the world the truth about Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg is the one who really sacrificed himself, is the real transit hero, deserves a real movie about being a brave transit hero, and would never, ever send in his stunt double to kill Matt Damon in The Departed. That was all made up lies, and the only reason Mark Wahlberg didn't sue Matt Damon for the libel was because Mark Wahlberg is better than that. Mark Wahlberg is a true gentleman, a scholar, a PhD, a surgeon, a working class Bostonian, a Brit, and everything. Mark Wahlberg <laughs> is <laughs> So when can we get started? Uh, uh, Mr. Wahlberg, uh, can I tell you why I prefer your version of Planet of the Apes to the original? The original film ends with the discovery that the planet they have been on is Earth, after all. There's no release, no apparent victory. Just the discovery of an ancient civilization of humans, quickly followed by the discovery that the ancient civilization is the same as the human species on George Taylor's version of Earth. The Statue of Liberty is destroyed. There's nowhere to go. Your version ends with the hero winning a major victory against the apes. Captain Leo Davidson returns home to Earth. See, in this version, the planet of the apes he has crash-landed on is indeed a different planet entirely. And yet, after returning home, he is doomed to discover the same fate. Apes have taken over the Earth. He crash-lands in Washington, D.C. to find a ghastly visage has replaced the Lincoln Memorial. 
Ape Lincoln. <laughs> a former ape adversary is now seated on the throne of the great emancipator. It doesn't even make sense. I asked Timmy B to explain it, and he couldn't. He just felt like we needed to monkey around with some wacky twist. It doesn't have to make sense. No, you see, the fact that it's nonsensical hammers my point home even more. That you can cheat death, battle an army of apes, fly back home in a spaceship, and still, there you are, in the same situation or worse. Changing the circumstances does not allow you to escape what you're dealing with. Not really. Is, uh... Is this one of those metaphors I've been hearing about? <laughs> it is. You see, we specialize in people escaping here at Amelia. But from what you've told me, I, I'm not sure there's any escape for you. Wherever I go, <laughs> damn dirty apes. <laughs> damn dirty Matt Damon. You see, if you come back as a man who is dead and specifically praise yourself, people will scrutinize. People are going to ask questions. There'll be an investigation. Why was Mark Wahlberg around for months between when supposedly Matt Damon died and discovering the truth that it was actually not Matt Damon, but Mark, Mark Wahlberg who died? But that's not the truth. Precisely. If you think people lionize Matt Damon transit hero now, if you think that you're toiling in his, dare I say it, departed shadow now. Imagine what it will be like if people find out that not only is Matt Damon dead, but that Mark Wahlberg stole his identity, stole his heroics, and is attempting to change the narrative around his death to improve his own self-image. You won't be in the shadow anymore, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. You'll, you'll be the shadow. It does sound kind of cool, though. <laughs> no. But, but I have money. No. <laughs> Lots of money. No. Is this because I didn't like your cocoa? No. <laughs> I am a huge fan. I respect you so much. We'd love to work with you here at Amelia, but we cannot allow you to come back as Matt Damon. Someone with less profile, perhaps, but not him. Not now. Did I mention I have lots of money? You did. Did I mention I'm Mark Wahlberg? Indeed. And you're saying, no? We are, I'm afraid. Let me show you to the door. Ah, I, I, I can take that cocoa off your hands now if you're all set with it. No. <laughs> Save her. <clears throat> no co. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just like that, Mark Wahlberg's dream performance is destroyed. Which is where I come in. You, you see, it's my job to keep Mark Wahlberg happy after all. And when he came crying to me, my ears perked up about all the possibilities. The Amelia Project. Such a potent mix of professional pride and moral ambiguity. <laughs> so many possibilities in how their talents might be put to use. And they really are very good at what they do. Oh, um, hello? Ah, right on time, wonderful. I do appreciate punctuality. On time? Yes, quite. Um, 
On time for what, exactly? Well, for our interview, of course. That not that what you do here? It is, but I don't recall having an interview on my schedule for this afternoon. Oh, I took the liberty of scheduling it myself. <laughs> You've taken the liberty of occupying my desk as well. <laughs> yes, that's true. I find there's power that comes with the orientation of a desk. Faced toward a wall, it implies low status, a worker's arrangement, allowing one's superiors to peep in at any moment they like. Turn it around so that I lose my place on my screen. <laughs> Turn it around so the occupant has full view of the office and its entrances, and suddenly you are in the seat of power. Well, given that particular way of seeing things, why have you not taken the seat itself? Oh, I don't care for sitting. What? At all? Let's just say I'm not properly jointed for it. Oh, I do apologize. Uh, had I realized we were discussing a disability, I wouldn't have pried so rudely. Oh, I didn't say it was a disability. But I do appreciate your honesty. I wouldn't have pried so rudely. <laughs> we both know you still would have pried, if marginally more delicately. That's the whole of what you're about. Well, I, I wouldn't say that is the whole of what I'm about. There's also my passion for the stage, my sparkling wit, and of course my deep and abiding love of Coco. <laughs> yes, yes, every character needs some color to round him out, a, a few quirks and details to serve as signature and shortcan. Shorthand. Incidentally, I brought you a gift. <laughs> oh, an American candy. <laughs> now, this should be a treat. <laughs> Whoppers. Well, that sounds fun, doesn't it? A nice round sound to it. They look rather similar to Maltesers, don't they? Mmm. <laughs> oh, yes. That's a um, chocolate shell. <coughs> Maltese center. Very reminiscent of Maltesers. <laughs> yes, they, they taste rather exactly what Maltesers would taste like if Maltesers tasted less good. <laughs> Don't they just? Why did you give me these? For my amusement. After a few minutes, the disappointment will slip your mind. Later, without even thinking about it, you will pop another one into your mouth. Only to feel that wave of disappointment once more. <laughs> you won't be able to help yourself. You'll keep doing this over and over until the whole box is empty. And it'll make me smile every time. I fear our conversation has derailed somewhat. <laughs> yes, derailed. Very appropriate. Appropriate? What? The conversation getting derailed? Oh, no, you're one of those red line people, aren't you? In a manner of speaking, yes. Now, look here. The Amelia Project is not some run-of-the-mill rhinoplasty, and we do not take on clients looking to stroke their vanity. I'm quite well aware of what you do here, Arthur. I... what? 
I'm sorry, did, did you just call me Arthur? Of course. That's your name. Well, one of them anyway. Uh, how, how do you know my name? I know it because, because you know it. Well, pump me full of custard, dip me in chocolate, and call me a Boston cream donut. <laughs> Who are you? Did I forget to introduce myself? Shame on me. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Arthur. I'm the narrator. <laughs> the na that's not a name. Oh, that's rich coming from a protagonist consistently credited only as the interviewer. <laughs> My line of work offers precious little opportunity to take credit at all, let alone to put my name to my accomplishments. Wait, protagonist? We're, we're in similar positions. A job title in place of a name. A role in life defined by an appellation. In both our cases, an intimate compulsion to collect stories and to tell them, and most crucially, to hear them. I rather suspect that we have very different motivations for doing so. Oh? Is the Melia Project not in the business of making a profit? Did the Brotherhood of the Phoenix not charge for its services? Have you pivoted to charitable death faking at some point in the recent past? <clears throat> well, of course we need to make a profit, but that's hardly our primary purpose. And yes, as it happens, we do take the occasional charitable case. When you're not accepting diamond necklaces from the Queen of France. <laughs> You've worked for dictators, criminals, and scoundrels of all sorts when the price is right. Yes, yes, we take payment in exchange for our services. But if you're aware of our participation in the French Revolution, then you must also know that Marie Antoinette's own role was quite different from what history would have you believe. And I should know. I wrote that history. <laughs> you are the client. I hope I'm not interrupting, but the message you sent by pneumatic tube said you needed to speak with me right away. That was a delightful surprise. I did not know this office even had a pneumatic tube system. I don't believe I sent a message. Yes, that was me. Uh, Mr. Kozlovsky has a significant role to play in the arrangement I'm proposing, so I thought it best that he join us. This is the narrator. He knows things because I know things, apparently. Not exclusively you, of course. How fascinating. What sort of arrangement are we discussing? A real win-win for all of us. Ha! The last person to say win-win and actually mean it was Mary Parker Follett herself when she coined the term in her foundational works on reciprocal relationship management theory. Yes, that one. A local to my neck of the woods, actually. Born in Quincy, Massachusetts. Not a client of yours, I don't think. No. Sadly, her death was quite genuine. I met her by way of one of your American presidents who consulted with her. Yes, of course. How many of those have you done? American presidents? Three. <laughs> well, I would say three and a half. True, but that's much too complicated a story for just now. <laughs> My point is, I suspect you're more of a power over than a power with sort of thinker. I'll admit, her ideas had a bit too much socialist flavor for my approach to business. But you might be surprised. Deep down in the substrata of my being, I'm as communist as it gets. Ooh, do tell. No. <laughs> well, it's quite clear that you enjoy a certain parfum de mystère, but if you hope to have your death faked, I'm afraid you'll simply have to cough up the goods. Oh, oh, we won't be faking my death. Should I ever feel a need to disappear, well, 
I could do that quite easily on my own. Yes, I can see that you would. What? Y you, you can? Yes. But do not worry. Your secret is safe with me. Ooh, I do love a good secret. Now, do not pry. We must respect our new friend's confidence as much as we hope he will respect our own. <laughs> uh, what are you doing? <laughs> he is attempting to read my thoughts. <laughs> you could tell? Uh, I have encountered such powers before. You will find that my brain functions quite differently from most people's. You will not be able to access my mind, I am afraid. <sighs> Very well. Let's get to the crux of it then. Surveillance. That's what I'm offering. Uh, Legion, the corporation I represent, can give you access to the most invasive surveillance network the world has ever seen a fully integrated system of AI-driven personal assistant devices installed throughout the city of Redline and the greater Boston area. A microphone in every home throughout the state of Massachusetts and more than a little of Rhode Island. Every time so much as mutters, I wish I could just disappear, their Legion assistant will run an ad for the Amelia Project and even offer to dial the phone. Oh, my. <laughs> With marketing like that, we would never miss a potential client. Uh, but I should think your other abilities could lead us to even more interesting clients. Oh, my, yes. All the clients you could want and all of their stories. Stories? <laughs> well, I, I am the narrator, after all. That that's not a mere sobriquet. Choose anyone you like, and I will tell you their story as best they know it themselves. And what do you get out of this arrangement? What is the win-win? To begin with, we want Kozlovsky working for us directly. Now see here, you can't just come into my office expecting to poach my partner right in front of me. Consider the possibilities, Mr. Kozlovsky. You are already the best there has ever been at what you do. But Legion can give you resources, information, and facilities like you have never dared imagine. Combining your skills with our technology could advance your craft light years beyond what anyone else on Earth is capable of conceiving. That is tempting. No, you wouldn't. Second, we want the product of your services. But our service is just that, a service. I do not know what product you could mean. Why, all of those freshly laundered people. <laughs> of course. I don't need the Amelia Project to make Legion employees disappear. I need your clients to reappear as Legion employees. So much talent is wasted when you resurface a brilliant inventor as an amusement park mechanic or whatever. Instead of sending these great minds off into meaningless lives, send them to us. Turn your inventors into legion engineers. Turn your genius chemists into legion pharmaceutical researchers. Keep doing what you do best. Give the client their death. Then leave it to us to give them their new life as part of legion. That would not interest very many of our clients. <laughs> 
People fleeing their old lives do not often wish to contribute the work that led them into trouble in the first place. That won't be an issue. I'm certain we can change their minds. Oh, how so? Uh, <laughs> well, by uh, literally changing their minds. <laughs> That's something we can do. Our work in phantasmamedic robotics has produced remarkable discoveries in the field of reprogramming people. This is where you come in, Mr. Kozlovsky. You're the best candidate to perform the neuroadjustment procedure. And you could do it at the same time as you install the client's new face. One-stop chopping. What could be better? Reprogramming people? But that is monstrous. You already rewrite a person's entire identity, their role in history, the face they show the world. Isn't this just the next logical step in your process? You don't understand what we do here at all, do you? When I change a person's face, it is because they want a new face. You said yourself, I am dedicated to hearing our client's stories. Why do you think that is? It's not merely for my amusement, it's vital to the process. I plan a death and a new life that suits the person they are, not some other person whom I'm rewriting them to be. Yes. What we do gives people choices. We offer them options, but they choose whether or not to take them. You are, what you are proposing, that gives them no choice at all. You have spent all day saying no to clients. How many can you truly afford to turn down? And as affronted as you like to look, Arthur, I know that my offer of secret stories of anyone you choose appeals to you. Ever since I first said it, the brightest thought running through your mind has been, I could know all the stories, <laughs> all of them. Well, of course that's tempting, but that doesn't mean I want it. Would it even mean as much to hear someone's story secondhand rather, rather than in their own voice and words? But Arthur, I can give it to you in their own words. I'm that good. But <laughs> you would take Kozlovsky. Arthur, do you truly think this narrator can tempt me away from the work I have given many lifetimes to? There must be something you want. <laughs> I told you that will not work on me. <laughs> If it's true that you can read my mind, Mr. The Narrator, then I think you would best read what I'm thinking at you right now. Hmm. <laughs> the interviewer stared daggers at this narrator person, whose offer would render the work of the Amelia Project as tedious as it would contemptible. For the interviewer, the most important thing about any client was whether their story was interesting. No story will ever be interesting again if every story ends in a Legion laboratory, the interviewer thought. <laughs> Why, if this narrator has any decency at all, he would just go and, oh my, it gets rather rude after that. Indeed it does. <laughs> I think it is time that you should leave, Mr. Narrator. <sighs> Fine. I suppose that's that, then. I do hope you'll enjoy your continued financial struggles. I can show myself out. Well, what 
a repugnant fellow that was. So now that he's gone, what is his secret? Arthur, shame on you. You know I gave my word not to tell. Just a little hint. Absolutely not. Oh, well, this has certainly been a day of disappointments, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, that was still not a Malteser. Yes. In order of appearance, tonight's cast featured Alexander Danner as the narrator, Jeff Andreessen as Chuck Octagon, Julia Morizawa as Amelia, Ellen Bergen as the interviewer, Felix Trench as Mark Wahlberg, Zach Valenti as Matt Damon, and Hemi Yerahem as Kozlowski! With special thanks to Cat Howard and Oliver Morris, Ben Foster's created by Alexander Danner, Jeff Andreessen, the Amelia Projects by Philip Thorne and Einstein Oldsbeck Braga, Charlie and the MTAs performed by Emily Peterson and Jack Tini, the Amelia Project team by Don't forget the merchandise is available in the lobby. <laughs> the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. From the team behind the award-winning best fiction horror podcast, Nightlight. A new audio drama that brings the southern folklore of True Blood and the cosmic horror of Lovecraft Country to your ears. You don't hear that, do you? Afflicted is a tale of hoodoo, a demonic book bound in human flesh, and natural disasters that are anything but natural. Which grave did you get the dirt from? Which grave? Afflicted, a horror thriller audio drama, coming this Halloween thanks to our Indiegogo supporters. Subscribe now to get notified the moment the first episode drops. It's, it's the name. name.